Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. Hello, good afternoon, good day, good morning, whatever time it is for you. My guest today is Abigail Manning. Abigail is the founder of Create Awareness, Change Lives. Through her innovative workshops and speaking events, she helps military, government, and national security companies strengthen individuals' mental well-being and build prosperous team cultures. She combines her academic education in cognitive, social, and behavioral studies with her firsthand life experiences of childhood abuse, domestic violence, and PTS. With empathy, kindness, and tough love, she authentically connects with others and inspires them to deepen their self-awareness, self-ownership, and self-care. As a proud mother of a U.S. Marine daughter and son, she has a heartfelt passion for the people she serves. We're going to learn a lot more about Abigail, her business, her ties with the military, and how she's working to make the world a better place by helping others mindfully retrain their brains. And that's all here today on this episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. Welcome to the show, Abigail. Thank you, John. I'm delighted to be here. How have you been? You know, pretty good, pretty good. I'm really happy. I just got to spend two weeks with my kiddos, and uh, that hasn't happened. We haven't been able to be together for Christmas in over four years because of their different assignments, and it was absolutely wonderful. So I'm flying high. That's good. Yeah, four years. That's a long time to not be able to get together, so I'm glad you are able to do that for the holidays. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun, but now I'm back uh, behind my desk (laughs) and looking forward to a really productive and prosperous 2020. There you go. Well, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Last time we chatted just via text, you were in San Diego and you had met a, a homeless veteran who had some very insightful comments about the power of meditation and mindfulness. And, and uh, I, I appreciated your sending the, the videos of what he had to say about it. Uh, I, love what, I love what his thoughts were. I'm, I hate to see that he's homeless on the streets there in San Diego, but uh, I, I'm hoping that something will, will you know, work out for him in the future. What have you been up to since then besides uh, hanging out with your family and, and getting ready for 2020? Well, I launched another workshop. Um, the, the reason I was out there is because a rear admiral retired Michael Giorgione and I taught a class. And the gentleman you referred to, I like to run. And so he and I, every time I go out, he and I have a nice little visit um, a couple times in the week that I'm out there. So um, that, that I've been back there doing that with Navy Command. Um, and then I just launched a new workshop that's um, really exciting for me. It's about countering insider threat. Um, there was two former CIA um, global executives, and it's all about the topics that we're going to chat about today, you know, overcoming um, stress and anxiety and depression and, and all of the different things that can lead to adverse outcomes. So uh, that was just launched this Tuesday. So it's, it's an exciting time. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. Well, before we get 
any further into our questions, what I'm doing for every show is I start the show out kind of explaining what Veterans Path does and why we're doing this show. So Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so that they can rediscover a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from, P-A-T-H, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. With that all said, we'll go ahead and jump into our questions. For our audience, I started the show with a brief bio, which, which you did here, and we'll get into a lot more of that in more detail here in a second and throughout the show. But can you tell us a little bit more about Abigail Manning that may not have been in the bio, uh, kind of what you're doing now, which you've started covering, where you're living, what you do for fun, family makeup, that type of stuff? Oh, sure, sure. Um, so I built a lot of content because I'm not very good at the last part of the self-care part. So <laughs> it's a journey of my, <laughs> it's a journey of my own. Um, I raised my two kids. I have a daughter and a son. Um, I raised them as a solo parent since the time they were five and two. Um, it was my goal to end the cycles of abuse that I grew up with and to figure out what is healthy and what is not healthy and then end that with me and teach my kids a whole different level. So we came up with, a, I came up with a family oath of, I treat others and myself with love, respect, and kindness. And I worked really hard at that. And I talked about duty and honor and commitment and doing the right thing. And the right thing is unfortunately always the harder thing between the two options. <laughs> at least it seems that way in my life. Sure does. And so that, you know, right. So that's been my goal. Um, that was the first part of my life mission, I believe, is ending these cycles of abuse within my own family. And I'm really proud, as you mentioned, both my kids are Marines. My daughter just retired um, from HMX1, and my son is in Intel. And I'm really proud of them. They took all the life lessons that I instilled in them and took them to a whole other huge galaxy, like a bigger degree than I could have ever imagined. I'm super proud and delighted with my kids and the closeness that we have. Um, so that, that was kind of where I've been um, and where I'm going is now taking this information that I've learned and developed and uh, created and all of that to help that with my kids now to go and help um, and other cycles, you know, from abuse and addiction and risky behavior and PTS and thoughts of suicide. Um, and I love, John, when you get surrounded by people who believe what you believe, it's, it's unreal to me um, the work that I get to do now, the people that I get to meet. Um, for example, you, I mean, I'm just impressed by what you've done with your career, how you talk about your family, how dedicated you are as a husband and a father of your beautiful kids. And that's the type of work. <laughs> it's true. It's, and, I'm, and that's the world I'm working hard with other people to build and foster and enhance. Well, first off, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, that uh, comment. Uh, I've, I've been blessed with, uh, you know, a wonderful family uh, and, beautiful bride who is just uh, a powerhouse and she takes, you know, wonderful care of our kids. I am, I'm blessed to have her and I'm blessed to have the kids. Uh, they kind of give me the energy to, to go forth and do what I'm doing now. Um, as far as my comment, when you mentioned uh, 
you know, choosing the right path is always the harder ones. And then you said specifically for you. And I said, sure does. I didn't mean it sure does for you specifically. I just mean (laughs) in general that the right path always seems like the harder one to take. So um, very proud of of you and what you've done with with your two two kids coming back to family and what we've done with our kids. Um, You know, I've got young ones, so I've still got plenty of time to mess up. It sounds like you've done a wonderful job in, in raising your kids right and, the, and then with a heart of service, you know, and they're joining the, the Marine Corps. Um, I want to get into a lot more here in a second, but uh, I try to stop in, in, you know, the first few minutes of each show just to take a quick uh, second to give a plug for our sponsors who help support Veterans Path. So I'm just going to pause here. Welcome back. We're continuing conversation with Abigail Manning, founder of Create Awareness, Change Lives. Abigail, we'll get into exactly what your company is and what you do here in a second. But first, I want to lay the foundation for the conversation. How did your life lead you to where you are now? Well, it was a very bumpy road with lots of twists and turns. Um, and as you mentioned in the beginning, I came from childhood abuse by both my parents, which kind of skews, not kind of, um, but in a massive way, skews how you think, of not only about the world, but also about yourself and your worthiness. Um, and so a lot of the words that you talked about, you know, like the acceptance, like self-acceptance and all of that. Um, and so then, then you make different life decisions, right? So my life, what I've learned some through some of the hard ways, including domestic violence, um, then from all of that, I was in PTS and I don't call it PTSD because I don't think it's a disorder. I think it right. is absolutely to be expected, right? Yeah, so when honestly, through... if, I, if I could just interject there for a second, I'm, I'm yeah. the same way. Like, I think if you uh, don't have some type of reaction to extreme stress, then those are the people that we should be concerned about. The ones who don't have, uh, you know, nightmares or stress or anxiety from something that they've experienced that was traumatic, those are the ones I'm more concerned about. Um, so I, I, I agree. I don't think it's a disorder. I think it's a, re, it's a natural reaction to extreme stress, extreme trauma. So sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I fully agree with your not calling it PTSD, but rather just PTS. Right. Exactly. Thank you. And like the stigma, like you and I are both about busting stigma types, right? right? Like Absolutely. you're to me, I think of you as this big guy who like breaks the stigma that strong guys are weak if they ask for help. And for me, I'm breaking the stigma that if you've been um, through situations of abuse and trauma like that, then that's the that's it for the rest of your life. So you and I actually at one point used the word victim and I never used the word victim. Was I a victim of different circumstances, of different crimes? Yes. Abuse is a crime, you know, physically attacking and violently, you know, um, uh, well, violently attacking someone assaulted. Yeah. yeah, is a crime. Right. But I don't look at it that way. And so because to me, then I start going down that path. And that's part of what I call purple threads, um, which then become the way I look at myself and identify. And PTS is the same way. If I look at myself like, okay, I have a disorder first, I'm not going to raise my hand because I'm a strong, you know. Um, I'm going to get her done type of person. So I'm not going to raise my hand that I have a disorder. And then secondly, if I, you say it's a disorder, that's a life sentence. Right. And I'm here to tell you that you, with the right type of therapy modalities and the right work and the right effort and the right 
um, rewiring your brain and rewiring, removing the trauma that's held in our body and a cellular level as well that's hardwired in our brains in a neurological way, we can. There are, there are so many options out there. And that's one thing, John, I want to give is hope because I know a lot, you know, your veterans, a lot of times um, they only get maybe one service. They maybe only are able to go to the VA and the VA only has like three times you can get something done or they maybe only have EMDR. For me personally, it was um, a whole casserole of ingredients of EMDR and, and um, self-talk and EFT and a whole bunch of different things. So I want to encourage people that if you have PTS, it is not a life sentence. Um, you, you can undo the, the wiring in your body and there's steps that you can do. And that's part of what I teach as well, because I learned that, to be honest, the really hard way. And I want to help people learn it the easy way, just like I did my kids. I wanted them to learn hard life lessons the easier way through my role modeling or my language. And that's why I built my own language and artwork, because I wanted to say it in a way that seemed more like me and not so scientific, but ways that people could say, I can relate to that. I can understand that. And if she can do it, I can do it. Um, and so that's where a lot of like my life led me to this moment is I'm just taking a lot of the things, how I raised my kids and the way I overcame my own personal traumas to be able to help other people. Wow. There's a lot there that I want to talk about. So, um, your own language and you mentioned purple threads, is that part of your own language? <laughs> it is. It is. So if you imagine that we're all a neutral color sweater and you have somebody, um, that is weaving a lie into you. And I use the color purple for a couple different reasons. One is because it's the color used for domestic violence. But if someone's weaving this lie into you, it becomes so deeply woven in our bodies and hardwired in our brains that we actually become counter, we have counterproductive self-belief and we limit our ability to thrive. And the more those purple threads become part of your whole sweater, it becomes part of your personal thought, your PT, it becomes part of your personal triggers which is a huge part of all of this. And then like the military and you physically train, you've got to train to pull those purple threads out. You have to remove them. You have to replace them. You have to rewire your brain and your body past that trauma um, and that limiting self-belief that other people. So usually, John, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure you probably don't have any, <laughs> but most of us have limiting beliefs. And it's usually a not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not likable enough. Um, I'm never going to. It's those types of beliefs that if someone else looked at you, they would say, what are you talking about? Right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and they become so buried in you. So, for example, the, a strong message I was told, one of many strong messages is that I'm stupid, I'm dumb, and then on top of that, I'm stupid, dumb, and lazy. Um, and so that would be a personal trigger. Like, and um, it turns out I was actually dyslexic. They found out in college, my college math teacher. Um, but that became a personal trigger. So the moment anybody would even have like some sarcasm about me being smart or dumb or stupid, like I would internally start beating myself up. Lots right. of shame, lots of blame, lots of judgment. So I played small. I didn't want anybody to see that I was dumb, that how dumb I was, right? Mm -hmm. So I played small and none of us benefit by anybody playing small. Right. So, yeah, first off, um, yes, I do have limiting, or I have those limiting beliefs. You, you said you probably don't. I think a lot of us do. Many 
if not all, if not all of us in some form or fashion have those limiting beliefs. Um, but I, I want to come back to um, your your childhood, your surviving childhood abuse, your surviving domestic abuse. Um, how did you actually end that cycle uh, for yourself and for your kids? For me, it's um, I have a lot of grit and determination um, and the right thing. Ever since I was a little kid, I could see what was the right thing. I actually have too much empathy, I think, because I can understand other people's perspectives. And so there's a lot of kindness that goes with it. And the more I was kind, the more I got ridiculed by my family of origin. And um, so to me, I just held true to what I knew for me was right. We are here to be loving, respectful, and kind. We are here to encourage and empower each other. We're here to make the world a better place. We are here to elevate people. Competition, I've been an athlete my whole life, and that was my survival skill when I was growing up was get out of the house and be totally involved. I was one of those kids who um, was a who-who, you know, who's who of the school kind of thing, you know, <laughs> yep. president of student council president, varsity cheerleader, varsity jet, captain of gymnastic team. Like I was in theater, I was in all these different things because that was my survival skill. That's where I heard other voices telling me, I see you, you're good, you're a good person. And nice. that's why it's important, John, honestly, like when I go to the grocery store or any place, I see people, I look at them. I try to give them something reassuring because as you said, honestly, we all have a not worthy, not good enough statement that right. floats around in our heads. And sometimes we're aware of them and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we, we've believed it for so long, it's just a fact. And you know, like it's the fact of that, like I'm not good at math. And then when I thought, well, that's a limiting belief, I'm not gonna do that. I mean, I've run two companies. I've gotta be pretty decent at math, even though I have an accountant and a bookkeeper. <laughs> and then the, when I, <laughs> Oh, I couldn't live without him. But when I ripped that out, that, that thought out of my head, and I changed it to, I may not be the best at math yet, but I, I'm good at it, right? Yeah. It changed everything. It changed everything for me. So I just try to do that. Notice that wherever it's happening. And that's been what I've done in my whole life. You're asking about how my life led to here. It's just being self-aware um, and being noticing where I can do better. and helping those around me who are trying to be better too. That's awesome. Uh, every, every answer you give me is I, I'm scribbling down notes here on the, on the other side of the, on the line. Um, and it's just making me think of many more questions to ask you. So a couple of things there. Uh, one, you mentioned having too much empathy and uh, one, I don't think that's a thing. I think too much empathy in a specific situation, like you mentioned, you know, having too much empathy in your, you call them the family of origin, another term I've never heard, family of origin. Um, so having too much empathy in that situation because you're, you're trusting and you're trying to empathize with everyone around you, but you are also in an abusive situation. I guess in that light, there is such thing as too much empathy. But in the world, on a grander scale, I love your heart. I, I love the empathy that you have for others. And, and quite frankly, the empathy that you have for yourself and, and understanding why you're feeling certain ways and, and thinking certain things. And I think that's important that you've taught your kids that, that they've seen that in you. Um, and then the, the next piece is um, you talked about you know, feeling like you weren't worthy, like you weren't good enough because of those limiting beliefs. And then those were compounded upon 
by things that were said to you, things that were told to you. Um, and uh, uh, I interviewed uh, a woman two, two episodes ago, hasn't published yet, but Benefshev Varel, uh, she's an army lieutenant colonel. And she, I mean, very strong woman, uh, West Point graduate, uh, uh, lieutenant colonel in the army, type A personality. But her t- whole time, or a, a good chunk of her time in the military, uh, she suffered from imposter syndrome, which I think a lot of that mm. co- comes from those limiting beliefs uh, that we have. And even when we're not told something, like I talked about just a second ago, those limiting beliefs can be compounded upon um, through, through life. But even when we're not said uh, or told anything, we're not told that we're stupid or we're dumb at math or whatever the case may be. We, a lot of the time, have those internal uh, limiting beliefs that, through the imposter syndrome, that um, can compound upon just by things that we think, those limiting beliefs. So um, I'm probably talking in circles here, and I'm talking too much. So back over to you. <laughs> at, at, <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't believe you're talking too much. I'm, I'm listening, and I'm, I'm writing something down, too. Okay. Like, I love your, your yeah. imposter syndrome is absolutely right about limiting yeah. beliefs compounding factors it's almost like a wave coming in a little wave is no big deal right and then you get three big waves in a row and then you get one crushing and you go tumbling and you come up and you're like okay i'm fine but then the other waves on top of you that's the same thing as my purple thread so i i came up with some artwork to show what that visually looks like it's the same thing as the the sweater all of a sudden becoming these purple lies um and you really believe you're purple what what happens is i call it finger pointing language so finger pointing, as you know, in the military, you like do a knife hand, right? right. You, you never point with your finger at people. Uh-huh. And, yep. <laughs> right? You don't. You yep. don't point with people. You do. And one of the reasons I can't stand hand pointing is my father would take his pointing index finger and pound it on your chest with every word he would say, like right where your heart is. Oh, wow. And yeah. So, you know, and you had to stand there. You couldn't show any emotion. And if you started to cry, you've lost all capacity for reasoning. You know, you couldn't even get teary-eyed or anything as your big, much bigger father is standing there pounding his finger, literally Jeez. his finger pointing at you, right? So to me, okay, how do I take that? And how do I then add some humor to it? Because we have to have humor. Life can be way too hard if we can't find some humor things. So for me, finger pointing, again, it goes back to my own life story. I can't stand finger pointing. And what is finger pointing? It's shame, blame, judgment, isolation. And People can do that to others, but people also can do it back to themselves, you know, and like, I should have seen this. I should have known it. So the imposter syndrome is those limiting beliefs compounded with stigma. Well, you've made it to the top. You better know what you're doing. You should. Why don't you? How couldn't you? Right. Mm -hmm. But no one can know everything. So when we can break that stigma at the top, that here's how we learn from leadership. One of the things I've really been learning a lot about leadership is from Mike Giorgione. He is one of my business collaborators and he was a rear admiral in the Navy. He was also commanding officer at Camp David. And I, I admire him so much and his approach of empowering other people, making it okay to say, I don't know, how could, what can I do better, right? And we don't have to come in saying, I'm a loser. I don't understand. How do I do this? You can say, hey, listen, I would want some assistance in this. And the same thing with PTS. You don't have to say I'm PTS, I'm depressed, I'm this. You can just say, you know what? I would appreciate some support. Right. I think it's time for me to get some reinforcement. Like change the language. 
change the language so that we can ask for help. And that's all imposter syndrome really is, is not feeling worthy of it and not having the language that feels comfortable asking for the help or asking for the support or asking to repeat that again, because I didn't quite get it the first time. Um, and when we can create a society that that, that is empathetic and kind and understanding, then, wow, we all can live much bigger than what we currently are. Sure, sure. So um, the, the domestic violence that you were subjected to, um, what did you tell your children about that? So I'm, I'm a big believer in being open and transparent. So I talk about trusting an acronym, being on truth, respect, unity, safety, and transparency. Okay, hold um, on. Can, can you say that one again? Really fast. Oh, sure. sure. Okay. Yeah, truth. Yeah. So, so truth, respect, unity, safety, and transparency. I love that. I, I love that. Oh, thank you. Well, it's like your past, right? Yeah. And it helps us. Um, you know, military. You guys all talk in incredible acronyms all the time. So I think that's pretty. <laughs> So I think it's kind of cool. So I have yeah. my own HBL, you know, FAD. But, uh, <laughs> nice. I'm trying to be as cool. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. And and it helps me remember things, right? Because I am dyslexic. So things can bounce around in my head. And then if I'm not careful, I'm like, oh, how could I not remember that? So it just helps me to have systems and procedures in place so that I can confidently talk in front of people and do my keynotes and do my speaking events and things like that. But I really do believe in that. And so with my kids, I've always had that. Since the time they were very little, I explained things in age-appropriate language to them, but I was always honest with Good. them, um, you know? And so for me, they could see. I mean, it was it was one night of a all-out um, repeated fight for my life um, that lasted quite a, quite a while. And um, I'm, I'm really lucky to be alive. Um, and... I could not function. Here I am, a woman who raising two kids on your own, running a company through a recession, competing in triathlons, um, you know, like, you know, out there, you know, being strong, as most people would say. Yeah. And I was a puddle. I was a puddle. I couldn't eat. Um, my legs would shake violently. I couldn't, like, talk to people. I couldn't think of my words. Um, I had hyper vigilant on everything. He was everywhere I went. Like he wasn't. Well, actually, he did. He ended up becoming a stalker, so that didn't help. Oh wow! But um, of you, yeah, 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 wow. yeah, yeah. Even a year later. So um, the interesting thing, and was that I hadn't seen him in seven years. And two days ago, I actually ran into him at a big expo. And it was amazing. And John, this is why I know this work really does change. It, you can unwire it. There is absolutely hope. It's going to take a while. Like I said, it was seven years ago, but I walked with him. He walked around this person and in a flash of a second, he was less than two feet away from me. Wow. And what would have made me an absolute wreck, right? I had such calm. I had confidence. I was able to stop and really look to see if it was him. I wasn't intimidated. I wasn't scared. My heart didn't race. I didn't feel sick in my stomach. My legs didn't start shaking. I, none of that. And I know if he was going to turn around and face me, I was going to tell him exactly where to go. Like, <laughs> I, w I won't ask where that is, but I have a feeling everybody listening knows. <laughs> I so, have raised two Marines after all. <laughs> so um, 
at, at what point did, so kind of switching topics, but staying along the same line there as far as abuse, um, and, and I'm kind of laying the groundwork for a lot here, so sorry to be harping on the abuse side, but what point did the, the, your children become aware that you had been abused as a child? Um, I talked, I think always early on, like I said, I was, I started with little topics, like not every family does this, mm-hmm. you know, not every family talks like this. I want you to understand this is special. This is important. And this is real. It took a lot of work. I mean, like there are things I would love to go back and do differently. Um, you know, my kids had a lot of, uh, kind of emotional hurdles, especially, you know, when your biological father walks out when you're five and two, uh, for his own form of addictions and gambling and stuff like that, you know, that, that hurts a child. Sure. And if I had known, right. And if I had known, and I, you know, I was stressed and I was running my own company and paying all the bills and I have a house that I maintain all on my own. Everything I've done is by myself. Um, and if I had known once it was all going to work out. Okay. In the end, I think I could have breathed a lot more like this mindfulness and retraining my brain and the meditation that you talk about. I, I know I could have done an even better job. Um, and yet at the same time, having gone through what we did, it created a fiercely loyal family because we had our ups and downs. Like every family does. We had, you know, my daughter was a teenage daughter who, you know, had a, abandonment issues and things like that. And I didn't think the Marines were going to be the right place for her. I thought she should go to finishing school and like wear gloves and a pearl necklace or something, you know, and <laughs> learn how to serve tea. But it turned out the, <laughs> I was like, Oh honey, no, no, no. You got enough hoorah. And um, it's, you know, it's, out beautifully i mean she took all that anger and and like me as an athlete i i poured it all in my sports man i i got on my bike i got down my arrow bars i just pounded on that bike and yeah and it worked for me right and so she did the same thing and took first place at boot camp and fitness and went on to combat school for a near perfect combat fitness score and then nice. got um selected you know for this amazing squadron and that she was part of and you know Um, so it works. So you can take a negative and turn it into a positive. And I think that's what I always taught them, um, is how you take something hard, you know, like they had come home and they would talk about something being hard and we talk about empathy and we talk about, um, perspective. And so I always told them from a little love level, but it wasn't until probably maybe five years ago, only three years ago, I actually told people I had been abused as a kid. Wow. I didn't, I didn't tell people. I didn't tell it. There was so much shame and blame and judgment and see how stupid I am and all this kind of stuff. And that's what I want to break that stigma because when you, you know, right. And when you can start thinking, so my whole goal is to think big and then think bigger. And so for me to think big and say, okay, I come from this was really, John, I can't even express how hard that was for me to come out about that. And now that I have, it seems silly that that was hard, you know, because now I'm be just becoming stronger. Um, I'm helping so many people. I just got a report back from our last uh, workshop with NAFAC in San Diego. And it, it was, the remarks are amazing. And I literally started crying because, you know, there were so many times in there where they talked about, this is great for my career and it's going to really help me. And even maybe more importantly for me, this is going to help me for the rest of my life. And that's what I want, where people can say, I get it. And now I can go back and be a better spouse, a better friend, a better neighbor, and a better parent. That's part of the second phase of my life is ending the cycle, teaching other people 
how they can end the cycles of whatever it is that they have in their life. Um, that's trauma or hardship or addictions or any of those things. And then they can teach more people. They can teach the people around them and then other people beyond that. And, and all that you're teaching there, that's done through your company, Create Awareness, Change Lives? Yep. How do you develop the curriculum? How do you get it in front of people? I, I mean, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about the Create Awareness, Change Lives business? Sure, I would love to. Um, as I look over, I have over 50 file folders that are all labeled in alpha order. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what I did. It's probably actually way more than 50. But um, what I did is I just, as part of my own path of, I like to create ideas and I love writing. And so I started just journaling and my kids kept saying, mom, you need to help other, you need to teach other people what you teach us. And, um, you know, certain things like wait for the paint to dry, meaning don't be impatient, right? Give yeah. it some time, be gentle to yourself. So I just started building all of this and more people started asking, hey, wait a minute, what is that? Can you come talk to us? So for example, I gave a keynote speech to 300 people as a gift back to the crisis center that really helped me, nice. right? That really, yeah, well, they were amazing. And in the crowd before I sat down, um, this gentleman came running over. Well, it turned out that he was a Senate majority leader here in Colorado. And he's like, we, I, you have to help us. <laughs> you know what I mean? and, and then it went from there. And then from that, it went to a work. I'm like, well, no, I, I don't know about that, but I, I'm smart. I'll learn it. I'll study it. I'll research it. I love doing research. And so I put together my own, I, I just have been building all this stuff for my whole life. So I gave that presentation and workshop and then that just, it just kept truncating into all of these other areas and like-minded people. And as you said in the beginning, my heart, my passion is military, um, obviously because of my two kids, right. but also the people that I get to meet are amazing people doing incredible things in a very humble way. And I'd like to think there's a lot of similarities between that, um, I think of myself as a thriver. It doesn't mean that there aren't moments I'm not on the ground, like, you know, crying and, and hurt. And I've been there so many different times in my life. But at the end of the day, I still stand back up. And I'm going to be a thriver. And I want to teach other people how to do that. And if I can say it in a different way that helps people, man, that's my second phase in life. That's, that's, I have a huge smile like that. That's awesome. Good for you. You mentioned earlier in the conversation, and we've talked in the past, and you mentioned uh, retraining your brain. And then uh, in, in our past conversations, you mentioned three specific steps to do that. Can you tell us more about what you mean by retrain your brain and then what those three steps are to do that? Sure, absolutely. So retrain your brain is, um, I think it can get very confusing when we start talking about neuroscience. And I'm by no means an expert. Um, I've just started recently talking with perhaps the, the country's best experts. It's the CU Institute Medical. It's the Marcus Institute for Brain Health. Um, they are amazing leaders in what they're doing. They have an amazing veterans program up there that I'd be happy to connect you with or anybody listening if they want more information on working with CBI and PTS in particular. Um, they are fantastic. So there are so many brilliant people out there that are doing that that can explain it on such a deeper level and that have the actual modalities and I can give resources, the ones that work for me, for example, 
but for me, retraining the brain is that self-awareness. So I, everything I do has three steps and I call them enlighten, empower, and end. And enlighten for me is that self-awareness, which is the purple thread, understanding your past negative experiences, understanding how it, you're not making it up. You're not crazy. It literally gets in your body on a cellular level and it gets hardwired into your brain. That's the neuroscience mm -hmm. part that other people can explain, but you don't have to go to that level. You can, if you want, but if you understand your personal thoughts, which become your personal triggers, then you then can say, okay, I'm going to start pulling those out. So you ask the people around you, if you're not self-aware of them, you know, I just thought I truly was stupid. I, I, I just was stupid. I'm really, you know, I'm pretty darn good athlete, but I'm, I'm just stupid when it comes to things. No, it wasn't. And the more I focused on that, the more I be, I fulfilled that self-thought, right? And then, mm -hmm. and then when right. I stopped and I pulled it out and I rewired it, I told my brain, and that, that's the second step. The second step is empowering. So to me, that's the self-ownership. Like, no, I'm not going to live by your label. That's why I don't let people call me a victim. You know, nope, that's not a label you're going to put on me. And that's not a label I'm ever going to wear. Just for me personally, that's my own go fight win. And that's what keeps me strong. So it's that self-ownership. And how do I then take those purple threads and make a negative into a positive? positive? And I call it flip a dip. So it's a, it's a positive statement. Like I am dyslexic, therefore my brain thinks differently and I love my brain versus <laughs> I'm, <laughs> right, right? And so yeah. there's all these different things. And so like um, you, can, you can flip those into the I am positive statements. And the last step is end. And I know people have said like, oh, I think it should be something positive. And I'm like, for me, when I was eight years old, I made a vow in front of my bedroom mirror that it ends with me that this ends with me. And I remember that so clearly. So for me, it's ending it. I'm going to end all of the negativity. I'm going to do it by being, having healthy boundary lines for myself and others. I'm going to be firm, direct, and kind with other people. But I don't have to have over empathy. And so I know what you're saying earlier on about that too much empathy. But when you take on other people's problems more than they take them on, that's too much empathy. Uh, that's the difference. Okay, now now I see kind of what you mean by that. Yeah. Because they so, tip off uh, merrily and I'm over here worried about them and what can I do and what should I have said? And that's that over empathy. And then, sure. and that part yeah. of that end is also that self care part. That's that you need accountability buddies. You need people who you can say, Hey, here's my purple thread. I want you to hold me accountable or, Hey, I'm really, and you can use code words with one another. You can say, I'm really tired means that for, for, let's say for Bob, that means he's, he's depressed, but you know, those things. And so like the other day I was talking with my daughter and she goes, you know, mom, that's someone's PT or that's someone's purple thread. You don't have uh, to go into a whole thing. Like, so if you've John yeah. told me that, I don't know if you want to share an unworthiness or a, a thing that you have. Oh, I mean, sure. Uh, <laughs> being in the, uh, quite honestly, I'll, I'll I've never really told too many people this, but in the in the teams, in the SEAL teams, um, you know, I, I felt uh, unworthy quite often amongst so many top performers. Um, they're a bunch of studs, and there was quite a number of times where I felt that I wasn't worthy to be in the same room as them. So, I mean, I guess that's a an unworthy an unworthiness or oh, yeah. a feeling of unworthiness anyway. Yeah, and thank so, you absolutely. for sharing that. Like you're leading the way, you're showing other people how to do it. So thank you. I know that's uncomfortable, and but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Thanks, thanks for uh, putting that out there. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I do. I, I'm direct, but I'm kind. 
I didn't say you have to tell us, but right. I, I also was like, oh my gosh, this is okay. Would you mind sharing with us? But if it's not like, oh my gosh, stop it. Just be direct. Hey, <laughs> I care about you, John. Do you want to share it with me? So now that I yeah. know that that could be a purple thread and I can see it in you, or I can see you acting smaller or less than if you're going to go and you're going to talk to, let's say, a group of fellow Navy SEALs, right? I can say, hey, John, get rid of the purple thread. You are uh -huh. awesome. Walk in there, own it. Right. And, like and that, that you can help each other. You can be accountable for one another. We can be encouraging of one another and we can talk about it in like a little bit of a code so that other people don't know it. Right. right. And it, we, my, my kids and I do that all the time. Right? We do it all I the time. It. And it's like, Hey, that's your stuff. I'm not going to own it. You know? So like if my kids come to me about something of theirs, I can, that I'll say that's a purple thread. That's a purple thread. I have always loved yeah. it. There's no question. I mean, that that is so funny that there's like, there's no two sides. But and they're like, oh yeah, that is pretty stupid. I guess now that I say it out loud. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess saying it out loud is probably a, a really good thing. To, I mean, even even just what I just did, um, I honestly don't know if I've ever said that out loud. Uh, now that I think about it, um, but saying it, it really sounded stupid. I was like, that's not true. So saying it out loud may be a, you know, another, another piece to, to helping with ending or doing away with those purple threads, as you call them. I, I love that. Great idea. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. And saying it out loud is absolutely right. And we take baby steps. So that's why, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that talk about post-traumatic growth. And for me, a baby learns to crawl, then it learns to walk, then it learns to run, right? And growth is mm -hmm. running. I, don't, I can't go from crawling on the ground as a puddle to running, right? So right. for me, it's that saying it out loud. If you can't say it out loud to somebody else yet, do mirror work. Stand in front of a mirror and say it out loud into the mirror. And I'll tell you, if it's in a purple thread, it's really hard to look yourself in the eye. And that's when you're like, ah, dang it. Dang it. <laughs> I got more work to do. So if people just stand in front of a mirror or people, some people like to journal, I think the mirror work is really, really telling um, to do that. And then the next step, the walking step would be to tell somebody else. And it's important to have more than one accountability buddy, because if you have just one, you could burn them out. It could be too much for them. Or if they have their own stuff, you're like, I don't want to go to them because they've got their own stuff. So I better keep this to myself. The whole part of this is creating unity and hope. When we have unity and optimism and we're together, we can do anything. When we feel isolated and alone and lack of hope, that's when we go down what I call the adverse spiral, which starts with stress, and then it moves through depression, then it moves through addictions, and then the addictions go to abuse, abuse PTS, a PTS to thoughts of suicide. And the key to that is the farther you go down, the more alone you feel, the more shame, blame, and judgment you feel, the more hopeless you feel. But the good news is it's a staircase. You can walk mm -hmm. back up. It's going to be hard. Like I said, seven years. It took me seven years, right, of on yeah. and off success. But you can do it. And if you, the more you tell people, the more unity you have, the more therapy modalities you use and try and keep that hope open, the, the faster you go up. And for me, it took a longer time because, all of those waves like we were chatting about, I had waves starting from the time I was a tiny little baby. So I had right. a huge staircase that 
I had to climb up because I had so many different levels of abuse in my life and trauma in my life. And it can be done. So the staircase, I love that analogy. I actually use a similar analogy when I'm, when I'm teaching mindfulness in that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in that as you practice mindfulness, that helps to reduce stress. And as you reduce stress, that can help your hormones get back into balance. It can help you sleep better. As you sleep better, you sleep for longer, you, you feel better. As you feel better, you stress less. And it's just this upward spiral is what I tell people. I love rather it. Than the, rather than the downward spiral, it's the upward spiral. So it's basically the exact same analogy in that you have the downward staircase that you keep telling yourself negative thoughts. You're living with abusive people that keep uh, compounding that. Well, you know, the seven years that it took you, you're taking one step at a time back up that staircase. It is a staircase. You can turn around and walk, walk your way back up. Uh, I love that analogy. It's actually, uh, uh, I'm going to use that as part of our video promo. So I'll make sure that that's in there. Okay. So uh, as far as uh, getting somebody started on that stairway back up, how do you recommend someone take that first step that, you know, you mentioned crawl, walk, run. How do you recommend somebody get started? Love it. Love it. Tell someone. Tell someone. Tell someone. Tell one person. And okay. bust through your own thought of, I'm going to look like a loser. They're not going to like me. Um, and in the world of abuse, the, it's all about power and control. So the other person wants power and control, and it's a limited supply. So if you have any, that means you've taken mine. So I got to take all of yours. That's, that's the crux of, of abuse. It's all about power and control. So we don't, mm -hmm. we, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's scary to, to show people the cracks in our foundation. I get that. But you will only go farther down the adverse spiral the more you try to go at it alone. When you can find one person and use the language that works for you. So we do this in the workshops too, where we say, okay, give me some new language. I'm tired tends to come up a lot in lieu of depressed. Um, mm -hmm. So just tell someone, say, you know, I, I might be interested in getting some support. Um, the military, first responders, um, people who have what are viewed as like really strong people type of chosen careers, it's, a, it's really hard, that language, right? And it's also hard because they're taught we, not me. And if we don't have healthy me's, healthy individuals, we cannot have healthy we, productive and prosperous cultures and environments and teams. So the more we can trust on one another and say in your own language, I'm not doing as well as I want to do or I'm having nightmares, or whatever it is. Um, and then also, the opposite is you can look around you and just, you know, are you okay? And okay is much better than good, because in our culture, we say, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Right? You don't even think sure. about it. You just bounce right over. Yeah. But something about, are you okay? I just saw an article about a woman who could tell there was human trafficking on an airplane, and she wrote on a piece of paper and held it up on the side and it just said are you okay and the, the girl shook her head no and then she wrote do you want help and the girl shook her head yes so she got up and got a flight attendant and yes sure enough it was human trafficking and wow right that's powerful that is isn't powerful. powerful so i have the chills yeah. right now down my arm um are yeah. you okay 
you know, hey, I know, like, John, you're going, like, and I don't, I'm not trying to harp on this one because I think you've already actually pulled that purple thread just saying it out loud. <laughs> but, you know, hey, John, I know you're going to go in and you're doing a big presentation. Are you okay? How are you feeling? And if you say it authentically and you look the person in the eye and you truly do care, you shift everything. You build, that's how we build trust, by being truthful with one another, being respectful. You know, I'm not making fun of you. And we're in this together. What can I do to support you? Do you want me to stand in the back of the room and give you a thumbs up? Do you want me to sit in the front so that you, we can have eye contact? So if you get nervous, you can look right at me. That's that unity. That's that safety. That's that nice. transparency. And so, you know, be well, brave, tell someone, and then you could be helping that person too. That's okay. So here's how, I'm sorry. Can I continue with one quick story? Please. Okay. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want yeah. to feel like a hog. <laughs> <laughs> go for it so when i was going to give my story to the crisis center it was a gift to them i had never told anybody out loud let alone pretty much from start to finish and i was scared and my son was in the audience and my daughter was a marine and couldn't come back for it and they both separately they didn't know they did this but riley in person and my son my daughter geneva in over the phone they both said to me mom this isn't about you this isn't about you staying up there telling your story. This is because you are going to help the lives of people in that audience. You know darn well that everybody has been through some form of trauma or abuse or hardship or depression or something. So all you're doing is going up there to help other people. And I immediately lost my nerve. I mean, it was in front of 300 people was the first time I told my story. So, you know, go big or go home, right, John? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it turned it from being about me to them. And it turned, and so when people do the same thing, like you asked, what do you do? You could be helping somebody else. You could be helping somebody else lead the way, like you just did about saying, here is an unworthiness thought. When you say, I could use some help, you make it safe for the other person to say, I could use some help. Mm -hmm. Similar to the, are you okay? Just making, yeah. making it just a different avenue uh, of the same thing. You're, you're going back to your kids telling you that uh, before, the, before you're talking to 300 people, <laughs> your kids are wise. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good on them for, uh, for telling you that. So uh, I've got you know, limited details from what you've shared with me here and what you've shared uh, with me in the past regarding your, your childhood uh, and, and the abuse that you lived through then and the, and the domestic abuse you lived through as an adult. Um, but... The, the details that you have shared with me here and, and in the past, I mean, I, I am, I'm terribly sorry that you had to live through that, first of all. But, oh, thanks. Uh, but uh, what you have done with that is, is incredible, and you're sharing your story um, and you know, coming full circle to by sharing your story, you may be helping others. You are helping others. Uh, you, you're, you are changing lives. So... Um, I would never wish what you went through on anyone, but I'm glad that it has be become the foundation for what it is you're doing now. So thank you for what you're doing, um, both for the veterans and for uh, anyone else out there that, that you're helping. We're starting to come to the end of the show here. Abigail, what else would you like our audience to know about uh, or what have we not discussed that you would like to discuss? Well, just to wrap up what you were talking about, you know, one is thank you for caring. I wouldn't wish hardship and trauma on anybody, but yet it can also 
be the phoenix, right? It can also be right. what makes us the strongest, coolest, badassest people in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that flip a disc. It's really important, right? Like, yeah. you know, and so it can it can become your superpower, like um, talent. So it doesn't have to be a tragedy. It can become your triumph. And I really, I really believe that. So I want other people to think that too. Like, what do I consider a tragedy and how do I make this a triumph? And we see this all the time. Um, there's tons of people that are doing it. And to wrap that all up, to me, when, you know, I don't talk a lot about my personal story so much because it's more about having other people talk, but there are big five forms of abuse. I've experienced all five of them. And most people don't realize there's so many different forms. So if I can help create awareness on that, the big five are emotional, verbal, physical, sexual, and financial. So for authentic health, which is a word that I like to use, you need all five. You need your own power and control in all five of those areas in order to really be able to thrive and um, in this world, not only as an individual, but then how to show others how to do it as a cultural as well. So that would be, you know, one is thank you so much for what you do and helping people learn all these different things or see a different perspective or hear it in different language. But we can absolutely retrain our brain and our body. We can um, get the trauma that we've experienced, you know, when you've either witnessed trauma, like a lot of times in the military, the people that I work with, they'll say, yeah, but I wasn't injured or something like that, but you've witnessed it. And that is trauma. And it's the, the number of times, the number of waves, being separated from your family, all of that. So just know that there's lots of resources out there. And to always be doing your own enlightened power and end. And look at it, like you said, mindfulness is not just a like, you know, one and done one time a week. It's, it's kind right. of always running in the background. Yep. Well, if, uh, if people wanted to reach out to you, Abigail, how, uh, what's the best way? Oh, fabulous. Um, so they can go to, if they want know, to know more about specifically abuse, which um, they can go to abigailgmanning.com. If they want to know more about the other workshops that I do with the military, the government, and national security-related companies, um, we're also open to, obviously, company other companies. We work with all different types, but that's really where my heart passion is. They can go to ca-cl.com. ca-cl.com. Cool. Yeah, there you yes, go. Sir. Well, awesome, Abigail. It's uh, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, I love that you're you know you're sharing your own language with the flip a dip and the the purple threads. Uh, I'm going to start using that that purple thread thread, and I'm sure now that I have that in my my vocabulary, I, I'll start noticing those purple threads more often, both in my life and in others. And I'll be sure to rather than asking people, "Hey, are you good? Hey, are you okay?" I think that's a powerful just twist on language that really helps out to make the other person understand that you're asking a lot more with that question than, hey, just tell me, are you good today? So thank you so much, Abigail. It's been awesome. Uh, you've been a great guest, and I think that your story will resonate with others, and it's going to, again, further help to break down those, those stigmas of seeking mental health support. Oh, fabulous. Well, and honestly, I do truly, truly care. So anybody listening, please feel free to reach out to me. I really authentically care. And John, thank you so much for the mountains that you're moving. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So thanks very much, Abigail. For our listeners, thanks for listening to the show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. 
And if you're enjoying our podcast, I ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. And remember, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.